Welcome again to Permaculture Tonight. We've got a special guest tonight. We have Starhawk talking to us about her progress with The Fifth Sacred Thing, filming, creating another book in the series, and also talking about her work in permaculture, Gaia, and Goddess. Tune in. Check it out. I'll meet you down at the old campsite. So to start off, let's talk about um, let's talk about the fifth sacred things progress because I've watched I don't know how many times I've watched the preview. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's very exciting. Well, thanks. Well, we're still, you know, I wouldn't say it's about to come out. We are still really in the development process, which means we're looking for the right financing to make it happen. But in the meantime, we've done a lot of work. We put together. Uh, screenplay, pilot, uh, breakdown for TV, so we can also pitch it as a TV project because there's a lot more excitement right now in many ways in television than in movies. Um, but the process of trying to bring it to the screen, it was like it immersed me back in that world. And, well, the truth is I ended up writing a sequel to it. And that is about to come out. We're about to launch a Kickstarter campaign to help fund the publication of it. And um, that's very exciting. That has taken up a lot of my time and energy for the past three, four years. And uh, it's a big project to write a whole book, but uh, it's a wonderful satisfaction when you've done it. Absolutely, especially when it's building upon uh, a success you've already had that people have this huge demand for expansion and I mean I know that I know that all of our listeners are super excited to hear that and I'm sure that all the people that are going to listen to this tonight are going to be people who are going to back you in that Kickstarter so any information you share we're going to eat it up <laughs> well thank you well I hope permaculture people especially will like the book, I, I tell people I think I've raised uh, permaculture water harvesting techniques to new heights of dramatic tragedy <laughs> because there is a character in the story, uh, there was a character in The Fifth Sacred Thing who was always very angry and he was always the one in the council when they were debating um, violence or nonviolence who was arguing like let's get real people nonviolence is not going to work here you know we got to fight and he was in the water council and he's kind of become um, a central character in the new book and uh, I think maybe a little more complex of a character you understand a little more of what has happened to him and some of his terrible losses that make him so angry um, but because he's water council, he's also the guy who knows how to move water and how to sink water and infiltrate water and harvest water. Um, and so it gives me a chance to bring in, you know, some of those things that we do in permaculture into the story. And he goes down with the North and the soldiers who defected in the first book go down to liberate the Southlands, go down through the Central Valley uh, where there's these huge, horrific plantations 
run by debt slaves and just chemical agriculture and eroding soil. And so as they're fighting their way down, you know, Cress is always one saying like, well, if we're going to dig a trench, let's dig it on contour. And then when we go, you know, we'll leave it and it'll harvest the water and the rain will fill it. And at least we'll be getting something productive out of this. Wow. I like that. You know, when you describe the Central Valley, I had this eerie feeling that is it, it's not very much different now. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to write dystopian fiction, it's not difficult these days. You just sort of have to look at what's happening and push it a little further. Uh, if you want to write utopian fictions, um, sometimes it takes a little more stretch of the imagination. Um, but I tend to write both, so because I think it's hard to write utopian fiction and have it really hold up as a story. A story needs drama, and drama needs conflict. Yeah, um, but a problem. Post two different it. systems against each other, then you can see how they interact. So I was a huge Philip K. Dick fan, and at one point. He wrote this story, and I can't remember if it's a, a short or a longer format story. I think I believe it was one of his short stories. I read everything he wrote, and I, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of do that with people. And he said in one of his stories that science fiction writers are modern-day prophets because the things that they described came true. Hmm. I think that... You know, um, that there's a lot of truth in that, and if you think about it, it really kind of makes you pause, because so much of science fiction these days is so um, dystopian. So you were saying that novels all seem to be dystopian today? Yeah, it's a lot of doom and gloom, and uh, for me... It's really important to show that there are possibilities of something that might actually be better. Um, You know, as a teenager, I found it so hard as an artist to make anything that wasn't an expression of pain. And and I, I found it almost baffling that people could write happy music or could create happy things. And I feel like it's because we're educated in such a way that we feel like that's, well, that's a dead end. Experts will take care of that someday. Mm. And we're disempowered. Um, and maybe that has, has something to do with it. But I feel like permaculture is an, a, it's an empowerment philosophy and practice and science. I love that. I love that framework for it. Yeah, for me you know, one of the things I love about permaculture is that it is hopeful and it does look at solutions and uh, it reminds us that actually there are solutions. I think also permaculture shares with many, many indigenous cultures this understanding that human beings are part of nature. I think sometimes even in the environmental community, you get this idea that somehow human beings are like a blight on the planet and nothing we possibly can do is right and the world would be better off without us. And that's not terribly empowering. 
I feel um, like that's ecologists. I've talked to people who are ecologists, and they kind of were like, well, everything that we're doing is is natural, and it's like, but it's desertifying. It's like, no, no, don't touch it. Don't, don't, don't. Yeah. And it's like, wait, but let's fix it. And they're like, no, 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 it's natural. Yeah. <laughs> and permaculture kind of says, well, first of all, what we think of as natural, you know, many environments we think of as natural, actually were managed very elegantly by indigenous people for thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of years. I live in Northern California where our whole ecology was managed by fire. Um, Anywhere you go, the people who live there, they're now looking at the Amazon and going, oh, right, this isn't just wild, primeval, untouched jungle. This is stuff that was planted and has a whole human history about it. And, right, I, I read about Yeah, I read about the swales. You know, I was thinking about it. <laughs> Those humans were an extension of Gaia, so they were acting yeah. on the will of nature, really. And we're all an extension of Gaia. <laughs> I know, unless we're a disease. <laughs> that's that's the point that we're meant to be in relationship with the rest of the natural world, um, watching, looking, listening, intervening in ways that are sensitive and elegant and healing. And I believe, I guess that you could say, if I have a spiritual faith, it's that we have the capacity to do that. Yeah, maybe let's talk more about that. So... I really I was I was listening to another interview that you had done about and you and you talked about goddess and you've done a trilogy of videos and I kind of actually I was going through the website and I lost track of how many of the uh, videos you have and how many books you have you have <laughs> I do too <laughs> yeah and and there and it's exciting because that means that there's so much more to to dig into mm-hmm. um, for people who are listening but I was I was very curious if you would talk about about uh, the goddess philosophy. Yeah, I mean the goddess traditions go way back um, before Christianity, before even Judaism and Europe, uh, and you can find goddess traditions at the root, really, of just about every civilization or culture on the planet. Um, if you go back deep enough, you find people who lived in deep connection to the natural world because they had to. (laughs) They wouldn't have survived otherwise. And who understood that nature is sacred, the earth is sacred, and who understood that this principle of bringing life into the world that we see identified with women, with the earth, with what we I like to call goddess, um, it's really about honoring life, about honoring what happens right here on the planet, not saying, you know, real spirituality is somewhere else, but understanding that it's right here where we are all the time. And that ties into, I feel, like a lot of Buddhism about being present. Yes. And I feel like that ties into... That ties into a lot of different things. I feel like... And I think you find that understanding. I mean, you can find it, you know, in Christianity. You can find it in 
Judaism. You can find it in Islam. We've just seen the Pope come out with this beautiful, very powerful encyclical on climate change, you know, really talking about the sacredness of God's creation. So I don't think it's unique to the goddess traditions, um, but for me, that's the place where I really found my connection. And after many, many decades of writing about that and doing ritual and teaching about how to do that and exploring those traditions, when I learned about permaculture, uh, to me it was like saying, oh, here's the how-to part. You know, oh, we're saying yes. the sake, and this is like the practical application. Oh, yes. That's yeah. exactly how I felt. I felt, you know, as a, as a Latter-day Saint, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but the reason that women don't have the priesthood is that they already they have earned that connection. That's why they're women. And, uh -huh. and it's men that have to prove themselves and earn and stay in check and that's why we have constant meetings and and all this stuff and it's and women already understand like spirituality because they create life and they're part of that creation of life and that's you know and that's like what our you know our our church has taught me um and i mean there's super sacred things that you know, I'm I'm restrained not to speak of, but man, female like the power of 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 what is female is truly misunderstood, and I feel like and I've talked to people about this before. I have I have ancestors that lived in Iowa, and women in Iowa managed everything. They were the CEOs, while the men were the labor in the fields. Mm -hmm. Because they were teaching the kids, they were managing the inventory of the house, they were cooking the food, and all that, and the finances. And so, I mean, my wife does the finances in our family, and we co-teach at our school. I cook the meals, and she bakes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's this, like, beautiful partnership, and, yeah, I just, I feel like we've lost a lot of what is female because we created this thing with entertainment and it, historically is how I understand this because I was an English major and in history and whatnot but when radio began the audience for radio was wealthy wealthy people you know and so their idea of woman was represented and so this poisonous idea of woman as this th object, right, was used because that was the audience. And then they used it as a mass production thing. And this stereotype came and obliterated what was woman, I feel like, in a lot of ways. Um, and because none of these things are written down, we only have journals from a lot of these, these, these women. Um, it's really hard to create a history and a tradition, and it's it's and it's people like you that are bringing these things back and solidifying them so that we can rebuild these these patterns that we've lost that they've been you know purposely or not they've they've been they've been forcibly erased by falsehood and fake mythology you know yeah on many many levels and mm -hmm. for many thousands of years oh yeah. And the fifth sacred thing, the Defense Council, is all 
old women and they say like it's because older women aren't like testosterone crazed and likely to just jump into war for war's sake. Uh, but I think for me, um, <coughs> you know, when I first encountered goddess traditions when I was a young woman, it was tremendously empowering even to have images that said, hey, women can be sacred, women can be leaders, women can carry spiritual authority. Uh, for me, my journey right now centers the idea of nature being sacred and making that nature connection. Um, I find that feeds me so deeply, and of course it's very much bound up with um, the empowerment of women and the empowerment of men, because I think really men are empowered in a different way when they don't have to carry the stereotypes of that patriarchal macho male, you know, when they can also feel and nurture and um, be sensitive as well as, you know, strong and aggressive, and where women can be adventurous and strong and assertive as well as nurturing and uh, kind and caring. Um, I think we're in a much richer world when we aren't bound by all those old stereotypes. And simplifications. I feel like the patterns that will truly emerge generations from now once we've really been able to see, you know, see things as they are, I think the emergent patterns will be unlike anything we've seen for, you know, millennia. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the hopeful aspect of permaculture. Again, that it really does give us practical tools as well as conceptual design tools for saying, how do we live on the earth? How do we meet our human needs while actually regenerating the systems around us? And if we look at climate change as being massive ecosystem degeneration, then the antidote to, to climate change has to involve massive, large-scale ecosystem regeneration. And that's something we actually can do, we know how to do. There are places where people are doing it and have done it. Um, and I think, you know, instead of just telling everybody we're doomed, it's hopeless, give up, <laughs> uh, what we should be telling people is, hey, this is the most tremendous adventure we are inviting you to, uh, to be part of, you know, this work of broad-scale healing of the world. Do and the, that to me is practical, but it's also deeply spiritual. Uh, it's deeply about our connectedness and that, you know, I think every spiritual tradition, every religion at its base is a way of telling people how to take responsibility for themselves, for their communities, uh, for the people around them, for the earth and the, the processes of nature around them. Yeah. So I've seen reports recently about how people are saying that, or scientists or NASA, it's so hard to tell who's, um, who's accurate these days, but they're saying that despite Greenland melting at a rapid rate, at, at the poles, the ice is thickening. 
And my my first reaction was guy is taking a hand, if that's true. Um what I think is that Gaia is that we are Gaia. <laughs> right, and okay. Gaia right. takes a hand through us. Uh, Gaia does, the Earth does have self regulating aspects, but, you know, she also goes through cycles. You know, I mean, there have been cycles of major extinction mm. in the past, there have been cycles of massive. Um, climate change and shifts and maybe from Gaia's point of view that doesn't matter so much but I think from our human point of view if we want a planet to survive in a state where we can survive and our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren then what Gaia is doing is calling us to take a hand and say hey you all you made this mess. Now you're responsible for cleaning it up and shifting and doing things differently and learning how to live on this planet in a way that will let Gaia actually provide for us, which Gaia does if we give her half a chance. But I do believe that, you know, I mean, we are in a real crisis state right now. We are... Every reputable scientist in the world who studied this says we're past the tipping point for climate change. Now, you know, the best guess is that the tipping point is something like 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and we're now at 400. You know, so we're way past it. Totally. Um, you know, I was thinking but, about... Uh, they were saying that for the past 10,000 years, I was reading this report, that the Earth has been more calm, more stable, weather has been more stable for the past 10,000 years, earthquakes, all that, than it has like ever been. Which is fascinating to me because, and, and then there's that whole thing about how the sun's getting hotter, 30% hotter or something like that, but the Earth isn't. And there's all these different kind of shielding things that the earth is doing and regulating of temperature. And so mm -hmm. I wonder if, if, you know, it feels like winter's the reset, right? For the seasons, uh, ice ages are a global reset. I wonder if we're going to trigger, uh, an ice age. Well, that's the thing about climate change. We have no idea what it's going to trigger. <laughs> That's what makes like all our planning so difficult. The largest unregulated science experiment ever perpetrated. And, um, but what we do know is what's already happening. Um, already, you know, this year is supposed to be the hottest summer on record. We see the ice caps melting. We see storms increasing. Um, I think everybody who farms or gardens or grows food, sees weather patterns changing, uh, we're seeing droughts and floods and glaciers disappearing, um, places where people, millions, hundreds of millions of people depend on glacial melt for their drinking water, the glaciers aren't forming, um, we're heading into a period of intense chaos, and the thing is that you know, what we know from permaculture is 
we don't have to go down that road. We have alternatives. We have alternative fuels. We have alternative sources of energy. And we have ways of actually pulling some of that carbon out of the atmosphere and sequestering it that are not only just, not only are they safe, um, but they're actually exactly what we need to do to heal and regenerate our damaged ecosystems. So we're talking a lot in the permaculture world about how do we sequester carbon in soil? Because the world's soils are carbon starved. Uh, the carbon in the soil, the humus, the soil organic carbon that gives soil its fertility has been lost on massive scale from thousands of years of agriculture badly practiced and grazing that's been badly practiced and particularly from this last century of chemical industrial agriculture. But the the hopeful aspect of that is that means uh, again, the soils are carbon hungry. They have a carbon debt. If we can fill that debt, we can take carbon out of the atmosphere, put it into the soil, do it the way nature does it, has done it for hundreds of millions of years with plants and microorganisms and fungi and those things. And then what we do is we regenerate the systems. We revegetate the deserts. Um, we create abundance and fertility where there was desolation before and uh, so at the same time as we're healing the climate we're also healing the natural systems and the human systems that depend on that living aspect of the soil that's very practical but it's also deeply deeply spiritual it's a spiritual calling to be literally a healer of earth, a healer of soil. What I wanted to jump in and say was that I feel like there's this connection to the soil, connection to our health, connection to our like our trees, air, and the only answer we have, the only holistic answer to our holistic problem is permaculture. Hmm. I, one of the things I love about permaculture is, again, it's not any set technique it's about how we look at the full range of techniques and think about putting them together into systems into healing systems and that to me is its real power uh, that it teaches us to think differently uh, it teaches us to look at relationships and how one thing relates to another and to design sets of relationships rather than just put single elements in place. So what's next for you? You have a show that's going to probably get picked up any day now and we're going to be able to watch it on like CW. And <laughs> <laughs> and then we and then we have the next book that's coming Maybe out. Next. <laughs> right. I'm not sure about CW. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you know what? That they really need it. I mean, the whole vampire reel to reel, you know, they're just, it's like everything, it's like, all right, next is zombie. We'll do zombies, you know? It's like, yeah, you know, right. we have a rich history of wonderful things that are fascinating mm -hmm. and that is just waiting to be explored beyond vampires. Yes. So are, are you going to do a book tour um, this, this winter? Um, yes, I'm going to do some touring in 
probably in the northwest and then probably in the spring uh, just because the winter is so busy uh, I'll do some more touring again for the book um, we always have a permaculture design course in January in Northern California uh, our courses we call earth activist training and uh, they're a permaculture design course with a grounding in spirit and also have a focus on organizing and activism and how you take this out into the world to make change. So we've got one coming up in January uh, in here in Sonoma County, and then uh, we've got another one in May in British Columbia, Vancouver Island, and another one in June in Western Massachusetts. Oh, that's really nice. I actually went to school yeah. in New Hampshire, so I know that area. We work really hard to fundraise so that we can offer diversity scholarships to people of color uh, for our permaculture courses because we want to make them available to people who come from the communities that really often are on the front line of environmental degradation um, and train people from those communities to really be leaders. And for our winter course, we're also going to be doing fundraising because we have two deaf students who want to take the course. So uh, we're looking at ways to support having interpreters for them. And uh, they're really, really amazing, amazing, powerful, uh, exciting women. Um, this one young woman has managed to travel all over the country and woof and do all kinds of things um, and I'm very excited to be able to have them and see what new dimension what new sets of relationships that opens up for us absolutely in the permaculture world I have a question do you are, are you gonna do a graphic novel version of the uh, original fifth sacred thing um, people have suggested that, and I don't have any immediate plans to, but uh, I wouldn't put it out of possibility, but I'm definitely not the one who's going to draw it if we do. Right, right. It actually takes a lot of work to do all the drawings. Um, oh, it's a huge amount of work, yeah, and it's a, a real unique kind of skill. Absolutely. But it would be, I was just imagining how, how awesome it would be to just have kids be able to read it. Yeah. On. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? Um, just people can find out about our Kickstarter campaign. I'll have a link to it on my website, which is starhawk.org. And if people are interested in our permaculture courses, um, again, there's links on my website, and also you can go to earthactivisttraining.org. And um, I'm also about to go off to Spain, actually, to teach a course there, which I'm very excited about. And then I'll be at the International Permaculture Convergence. We've got a social permaculture course coming up right before the convergence that I'll be co-teaching with other permaculture folks from England and Australia and New Zealand, uh, looking at the social aspects and the group building and group dynamics and facilitation skills and how they relate to permaculture. And we'll be doing a social permaculture course and a 
facilitators training next April out here in western Sonoma County. Ooh, I might have to take that. So I absorb that. Great. All right. Well, thank you so yeah. much for coming on. And thank you for having me on the show. All right. Well, thank you. And have a wonderful night. And I hope to have you on soon again. And maybe during your Kickstarter, uh, you can give us an update. All right. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.